This paid program may not represent the views of Hubbard Broadcasting Incorporated or Federal News Radio. Statements and opinions of this broadcast are solely those of individual contributors or advertisers as indicated. Federal News Radio does not take responsibility for those statements or opinions and accepts no responsibility or liability for any inaccuracy, errors, or omissions reported during this program. Welcome to the Business of Government Hour, a conversation about management with a government executive who is changing the way government does business. The Business of Government Hour is produced by the IBM Center for the Business of Government, which was created in 1998 to encourage discussion and research into new approaches to improving government effectiveness. You can find out more about the center by visiting us on the web at businessofgovernment.org. And now, the Business of Government Hour. Welcome to the Business of Government Hour. I'm Michael Keegan, your host and leadership fellow at the IBM Center for the Business of Government. U.S. federal agencies need to procure goods and services essential to meeting their various missions. The U.S. General Services Administration, GSA, and its Federal Acquisition Service, FAS, provides those agencies with over 11 million different products and services and delivers over $50 billion annually in federal procurement. What is FAS doing to make its operations easy, efficient, and modern? How is FAS delivering best value mission support to customer agencies? And what is FAS doing to promote smarter buying and the efficient use of technology across the federal government? I'll explore these questions and so much more with our very special guest, Alan Thomas, Commissioner of GSA's Federal Acquisition Service. Welcome, Alan. It's great to have you. Well, thanks for having me. Also joining our conversation from IBM is Kunal Sarvanshi. Welcome, Kunal. Glad to be here. Alan, would you briefly discuss the mission and continued evolution of the U.S. General Services Administration's Federal Acquisition Service, or FAS? Sure. So, uh, as I said, thanks for thanks for having me. Glad to glad to be here today. So, uh, FAS is uh, has really been interesting for me, right? To be to be back. I've been in the job almost a year, and uh, the last time I was at GSA full time uh, was. Uh, almost a dozen years ago uh, when I was uh, working there as a consultant. And uh, what we were working on was bringing together the Federal Technology Service and the Federal Supply Service to create the Federal Acquisition Service. So FAS, as the name implies, right, acquisition is at the core uh, of, of what we do. But as you know, acquisition uh, has been is changing pretty rapidly. Uh, you know, technology is changing. Um, how we serve our customers uh, is really, I think, starting to change uh, as well. So the... Um, the one thing that really strikes me about FAS is the breadth mm-hmm. of, of what we do. Um, so, you know, we run the schedules program, which is obviously you know, a very large program. We run a number of government-wide acquisition contracts, things like Alliant, uh, government-wide multiple war contracts like Oasis. But we're also in, uh, in some other really interesting businesses like the fleet program, where we manage a couple hundred thousand vehicles, about a third of the entire federal fleet centrally out of GSA. Uh, we run the world's largest charge card program, the Smart Pay program. So all of that is under uh, the heading of the federal, uh, the federal acquisition services. And you can imagine all those businesses have their own sort of cadence and different, uh, you know, things that are impacting them and uh, uh, and changing them. And so, you know, when I talk about FAS, I think you really have to break it down into its uh, into its component parts. And each of those, as I said, each of those businesses is changing in in a you know in, in a somewhat in a somewhat different. A different way. Could you actually give us a sense of what those components are and what's the size of your budget? How do you make 
your budget, and how many folks do you have reporting with you? Sure. Just give you some kind of facts and sure. figures on the organization uh, to start with. So FAS is a little more than 3,000 people, uh, and they're spread across the country, so in, in 11 different regions. Uh, so about half of them are uh, here in D.C., uh, central office, and then about half are are out in the uh, in different regions across the uh, U.S. And we actually have folks overseas too. We have probably twenty or so folks in Europe, uh, and I don't know thirty or forty folks in uh, in Asia as well. Uh, the organization uh, is made up of uh, of six portfolios. Mm-hmm. So there are a number of integrator or support offices that do things like acquisition policy or strategy and management, right, things like that. But really, the core of the uh, of what we do is delivered in in six portfolios. Uh, so there's the Assisted Acquisition Portfolio, or AAS, and the FedSim Group is part of that. Some of your listeners probably know that. There's the uh, the IT portfolio, of which Schedule 70, Alliant, Vets, right, those sorts of things are, are part of the IT category. There's the Professional Services and Human Capital category. So there we run uh, Oasis is probably a you know a vehicle that most of your listeners know, HCATS as well. Uh, there's the uh, the general supplies and services uh, category. We do a lot of requisition work. That's a lot of uh, a DOD uh, work there, kind of supply chain uh, work. There's the travel, transportation, and logistics portfolio. So the fleet program that I mentioned earlier falls uh, within uh, within there. Uh, the um, uh, city pairs program, right? We negotiate the rates for uh, you know for airline flights, right? The fed rooms, all those sorts of things are in the TTL portfolio. And then there's uh, the TTS portfolio, the technology transformation services. Uh, portfolio where uh, 18F and a number of innovative things we're doing around uh, helping the government modernize and transform using technology delivered out of that portfolio. Alan, uh, what are your duties and responsibilities as the FAST commissioner, and how do your efforts support GSA's overall mission? So, when you take a job like this, right? I mean, there's a there's a there's a job description, but it doesn't really capture <laughs> what the what the job's about. You know, how do you hey? So, Michael, you'd asked about, you know, what's the budget? In terms of flow, the dollars that flow through FAS, it's about $50 billion in federal spending every year. Our operating budget that we use to run, if you were to look at it as a business, uh, is about $2 billion a year, right? So, it's a, you know, it's about a 3,000-person, $2 billion a year operation with about $50 billion a year that flow through it. Um, when you have something of that scale, I often think the most important uh, duty that you have is to inspire the people that are working in the organization, uh, give them kind of a clear sense of direction, right? Have them focused on a few big things that you think are important to move the ball forward. And then really to get the next level or two of leadership below where I am uh, in place, lined up and make sure that they're effective and properly supported. One person is not going to do the job of a 3,000 person organization, right? You need leverage, right? And the way you get leverage is clarity around goals and objectives, and then getting the right people in the in the right roles to really, you know, to really drive those 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 objectives forward. So to me, that's you know that's the most important thing that um, someone in a position like I'm in right now it would be would, would be responsible for. There's all kinds of other stuff in the job description, but if I don't do that. And then none of the other stuff matters. You know, uh, regarding uh, that particular role, what would you say are your top management challenges that you face, and how have you sought to address those challenges? You know, that, that's that's a that, that's a good question. So I think, you know, one thing I did when I first when I first joined almost a year ago uh, was I did a lot of listening, mm-hmm. uh, and I actually went on a, a listening tour. So I visited all the regions. My goal was to visit each region. Uh, before I'd hit six months in, uh, and I did it. Uh, I got them all in in uh, within in about five months, and I was out trying to listen. 
you know, talking to employees, so talking to um, you know, talking to some of the top management, but also doing skip level meetings with employees and doing town halls to you know really get a sense from people from where where should we you know where should we be focusing right? What are the what are the big challenges? And I think probably the top challenge that I came away with from that initial listening tour was um, the the systems we use. So we rely on technology a lot to deliver uh, to deliver to our customers. The systems that our people are using. Are not um, are not up to par, right? So my you know my sort of tagline is the quality of our systems need to match the quality of our people, and and we're not there, mm-hmm. right? So we've put I've spent a lot of time with uh, David Shive, who's the CIO, and his team there, talking about how we modernize the business systems we use to deliver service to our customers, right? And the old, you know kind of my old from from my business days, you think about it, if you take care of the people and you put one way you do that is to put great tools in their hands they'll take care of the customers and the results that will look, that we are looking for will follow uh, from that so that the kind of system challenge the systems challenge was probably i think the top um the top thing i found you know the, the other thing i found was that people sometimes have a hard time folks on the front line sometimes have a hard time connecting themselves to some of the top level things that the agency is trying to get done, right? So, you know, we've got a GSA strategic plan, right? We've got a, you know a few important objectives in there. People, it's sometimes hard for folks in the front line to draw a link between their activities every day and the and the objective in the plan, right? So, just really trying to uh, put a face on the plan, talk to people about those things, and help them help them see how what they're doing, even in a small way, help to connect to that to that larger goal. You know, along with the challenges you've just mentioned, um, leading an effort of this magnitude uh, really can be fraught with all kinds of unexpected and, un- and unanticipated challenges. So to that end, what has surprised you most since you took on this current role? Uh, so I think the breadth of the organization is the thing that was the most surprising to you. So I knew, um, you know, I'd interacted with GSA as a, as a consultant. Mm-hmm. Uh, I'd been a federal employee before, and I'd used uh, some GSA acquisition vehicles to acquire professional services in support of a of an R&D program uh, that I had when I was a DOD employee, uh, been a you know I've been a, a GSA vendor. I helped get a, a technology company on Schedule 70. Um, I, you know I've been in the software space, right? Sold sold software, so I knew I you know I knew GSA from that standpoint. I didn't know, so I kind of had you know schedules and alliance, right? It was sort of it was my my view of of FAS, right? And uh, so when when I got in and you know got a sense for example for, for example what's going on in the fleet program or some of the other things going on the travel side of the business or some of the things we're doing in the general supplies and services area those were things I didn't I did not uh, I did not know about right and so those are again those are whole you know those are entire business lines with lots of challenges and interesting unique things about their about their market so um, I I think of FAS in some ways as a as a as a holding kind of a holding company, right, with different different subsidiaries in it, and then uh, another a big challenge I've had is trying to figure out what are the areas where we should really be acting like an enterprise yeah. and acting as one, and then what are the areas where you know individual business lines should be sort of out executing their mission to to kind of meet the you know meet the needs of their individual market. So the breadth, probably the breadth, like I said, is the is the thing that surprised me the most about the about the mission. What are the characteristics of an effective leader? And perhaps you could share with us some of your leadership principles that guide you. So from a leadership perspective, I've been talking about really three things with people and their honesty, courage, and graciousness. You know, so I think when I first came in, people were a little like, whoa, that that feels, you know, like touchy-feely. I was like, well, I think as, you know, as a leader, you want to be, uh, you want to be authentic. You know, so we've got to, we've all, we've all got to be honest with ourselves about where we are in the organization. Sometimes that takes courage. 
to do that, right? Sometimes being honest and delivering you know, a tough message, but you've got to deliver it usually in a way that's gracious if you want people to, to listen to you. Um, and I think, you know, if people believe you're authentic and you're being honest with them, they're more likely to listen to you, even if you're, even if you're saying something that they don't necessarily agree with. What are the strategic priorities of GSA's Federal Acquisition Service? We will ask its commissioner, Alan Thomas, when our conversation continues on the Business of Government Hour. The federal government can reduce costs while improving services by adopting private sector cost reduction strategies and technologies to achieve similar benefits in government. Check out the IBM Center special report, Transforming Government Through Technology. It outlines how technology-based reforms can reduce federal costs by more than a trillion dollars over the next decade. Download Transforming Government Through Technology and all Center reports at businessofgovernment.org. Each week on the Business of Government Hour, government executives and thought leaders join host Michael Keegan for an informative, insightful, and in-depth conversation on improving government and its effectiveness. These individuals are truly changing the way government does business. So join us each week on the Business of Government Hour and find out how the business of government isn't business as usual. The Business of Government Hour, every Monday at 11 a.m. on Federal News Radio, 1500 a.m. Welcome back to the Business of Government Hour. I'm Michael Keegan, your host, and our guest today is Alan Thomas, Commissioner of GSA's Federal Acquisition Service. Also joining our conversation from IBM is Kunal Saravanshi. So, you know, Alan, um, FAS leverages the buying power of the federal government by negotiating prices on many products and services required by federal agencies to really achieve mission. Um, uh, to that end, could you outline your strategic vision for FAS and your key priorities, and how do they complement Administrator Murphy's top priorities? So I've been talking uh, about making FAS easy, efficient, and modern. I've been talking about efficiency. Uh, there's a lot of work we're doing in the shared services space. Uh, there are some shared services that we already deliver, like Fleet and the Smart Pay program, and then there's some new new things that I think we're planning to get into uh, in concert with you know some of our partners in uh, in uh, in GSA and the Office of Government Wide Policy. Uh, so there's this sort of uh, strain of efficiency. I've been talking about that. And then there's this whole concept of uh, of modern. And there we're really talking about uh, FAS as an enabler of IT modernization across the government. So there's some things we're doing with respect to standing up the IT modernization centers of excellence being run out of our technology transformation services group by Joanne Collins-Smee um, that I think are important. There's a host of work we're doing around the president's report on IT modernization. There were 50 actions identified in that uh, report. GSA is named as the primary or supporting player in 25 of the 50 actions, so we have a pretty pretty central role there. Uh, and then there's some work we're doing in support of the, the Technology Modernization Fund, or TMF, which is part of the uh, Modernizing Government Technology Act uh, that, that is really looking to, uh, you know, to set off a wave of modernization activity across the across federal government. So easy, efficient, modern is what I've been talking about in FAS. And that uh, fits nicely under what I consider Emily's, uh, M- Administrator Emily Murphy's four operating principles, which are ethical leadership, increased competition, increased transparency, and reduced duplication, right? So all the things we're trying to accomplish around easy, efficient, modern sort of fit under that, you know, and, and, and within those four broad operating principles. Well, that's great. So I just wanted to get a sense of, are there any, you kind of 
talked about the internal drivers, but mm-hmm. what external drivers and trends have shaped and informed your strategy? So externally, I think the the biggest thing we're dealing with is, is impacting the work we do. Uh, it's just the uh, changes in technology sure. and the and in the and the, the, the pace of change. Yeah, we deliver our service. We serve our customers through people. So as the technology is changing, I'm thinking about what's the what's the impact on uh, on people. And this you know this sort of fits in nicely with one of the internal drivers that I didn't mention, but I think is worth mentioning, which is the the PMA, the President's Management Agenda. Right, we we're talking about. IT modernization, workforce of the 21st century, and data accountability and transparency is the three components of that. So the, the change in technology and how it, how it changes how our people deliver service and how they think about their work is the, kind of the big driver, the big external driver that we're thinking about. And you know, just an example there, if you think about a, a line-level contracting officer, um, there may be some things we can do around, say, robotic process automation to take a number of um, what are relatively simple, mundane tasks off the plate of a uh, of a line level contracting officer, which is great. So it frees them up from from doing that. But it's a change, and change is always hard for people. You've talked about this. You began your tenure at FAS by doing a nationwide tour of the GSA regional offices and your key customers. Um, could you tell us anything more about that effort and what did you really learn, and how does it really help you shape your strategic vision? I think for me the most important thing I learned was we, FAS, is we're pretty close to our customers. I mean, we're a customer-driven organization. You know, we are uh, we're a, an, essentially a non-appropriated activity. We have a very, very small appropriation. So most uh, of what we do um, is, is costs that we recover uh, for delivering some sort of service to uh, to our customers. And uh, you really feel that when you get when you get out into the field where people are are close to their customers, right? They've got a customer mindset, and they've got um, they've got a nice entrepreneurial bent to them. That coming from a good chunk of uh, my career in the private sector was very was familiar to me, right? right? And so that that was um, I think that was a that was a key learning. I mentioned the systems, uh, so you know I kind of won't harp on that again, other than say that we want the quality of the systems to match the quality of our people. Um, that message really resonated with people. So they, hey, let's get down to business, right? Let's pick a few important things we want to do, right, around those easy, efficient, modern priorities, and let's focus, you know, ninety-nine percent of our time and effort on getting on get, getting those things done. That was a message that seemed to really hit home with people. Let's talk a little bit about the systems at uh, FAS. Um, there are about one hundred and seventy art systems at FAS. That's really a big number, and I know that's a goal of yours to try to reduce these systems. Um, you know, I mean, that number represents maybe a system for every twenty people at the agency. So, to that end, uh, would you tell us more about your efforts to streamline internal systems and modernizing back office technology? What are your plans to rationalize IT systems and ensure that these internal systems support your FAS employees? These are task, generally task-based systems, um, you know, oftentimes uh, written in COBOL, right? They're older. They, all, they, they, were all, they all do serve and did serve a purpose, right? Nobody started any of these things with bad intentions. But you know how these things go, right? Sometimes you get into them and it's hard to turn them off. So we have a systems management group within FAS, that works very closely with our CIO shop, and I've gotten involved there to think about how we uh, rationalize and modernize that portfolio. So there definitely is a vision to when you think about the capabilities we need. You know, there there are you can probably count uh, somewhere between seven and ten actual business capabilities that we need. So the idea would be to to uh, you know 
get a much smaller portfolio of systems that allow us to execute on all those capabilities uh, and begin to turn some of the older things off, right? Save some save some O and M dollars, mm-hmm. and really improve the user experience. So we've um, we've made some changes in uh, in how we govern our investments uh, and and look at those, right? So we uh, I think can make some uh, some smarter choices, give the portfolios a little more impact on how we're spending the dollar, but also get them to uh, think about it more from an enterprise perspective also. So as a follow-up, what is being done to streamline and simplify the FAS business processes? Uh, For example, uh, how are you leveraging the use of automated bots to help contracting officers focus more on strategic tasks as opposed to routine tasks? And what else are you doing to make it easy for FAS staff to serve their customers? So I, I, I mentioned it a little bit earlier. I mentioned our RPA a bit, a bit earlier. So there's actually a pilot we're running out of our professional services and human capital category. Um, so there's a, there's a, a great young leader, a fellow named Jeff Lau, who runs uh, Region 2 out of New York for us. Uh, and Jeff has the, has the stick on running the, uh, the RPA pilot. Um, we're, we're just into it, right? I mean, we've kind of been, been through the first phase of it. But um, the results look, look good, right? We just took a piece of that. A piece of that process that the contracting officer goes through to get somebody on the professional services schedule, and uh, you know we were able to take something that would say take between twenty and twenty-five minutes and really get it down to you know fifteen twenty seconds, right? I mean, essentially the bot does it, and you know we're 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 just you know we're talking about having to go out and maybe check a system, verify some data, pull the data back in, plug it somewhere in a document, right? That sort of thing. So the potential there. It's pretty significant in terms of being able to shrink cycle times and change how contracting officers spend their time. There's also some work we're doing about just thinking through how many schedules should we have and should we potentially consolidate the number of schedules. There's some things we've done in the past around uh, in our IT portfolio around Schedule 70, Fastlane program, which shrinks the amount of time it takes for you know somebody to actually get on 70. Uh, and the Springboard program, Startup Springboard, which helps uh, companies who may not have, may not meet the corporate experience requirements, right, but have some, um, some of the right kind of past performance uh, in the individuals that are starting or running the company to be able to get on, get on schedule more quickly. Alan, you mentioned earlier uh, the reorganization that uh, transpired last year. And, and I, I think your um, portfolio was impacted pretty significantly there. And what I'm talking about is the move of uh, the Technology Transformation Service into FAS. Um, would you give us an update on the integration, how it transpired, and, and more particularly, what were some of the challenges, and perhaps were there any lessons that were learned that you might want to share? So that was uh, that was really challenge one when I came in. In addition <laughs> to just kind of getting my arms around the organization, I want to look at this objectively and figure out the best way to integrate the organization into FAS, and then continue to deliver for customers. You know, the first thing I did with that uh, with that group was we put together. Uh, an internal group we called the Joining Forces uh, team. And we took uh, some leaders from legacy FAS and some leaders from the Technology Transformation Service, and we uh, we put them together. We formed eight working teams. So they were some sort of nuts and bolts teams like finance and procurement, right? How are we going to sort of join together? Then there were some, uh, there were some softer things like around culture, for example. Uh, and we set that group off on a, uh, on a sprint, a six-week sprint, right, to talk about how we can bring the two organizations together. And there were a number of recommendations uh, out, of, uh, out of that group that, that, uh, that we adopted. Um, nothing 
n- nothing that was uh, so unbelievable or so <laughs> earth shattering that we had to like write another order to do. Right? It's all things we could do ourselves. The most important thing that came out of that was the the leaders who participated in it built some relationships across what were two organizations that all that weren't always working together. Uh, they built they built some relationships, and uh, you know everybody got to sort of call it like a like a new start, uh, a new day, and some trust began uh, to build. Today, the Federal Acquisition Service helps our agency customers with the acquisition of over fifty billion of goods and services from more than twenty thousand industry partners every year. Would you tell us a little bit more about the multiple award schedule mass transformation initiative program? How does it seek to better address current market forces, provides the government with a streamlined, kind of a value-based contracting solution that can save time and money well into the future? So I touched on it uh, a little bit earlier in terms of uh, consolidating the number, uh, the n- number of schedules. You know, there, are, there are some interesting things we're doing um, with the, uh, or attempting to do with the, with the Congress also to, to make some change there. So in addition to just having fewer schedules, potentially even one schedule that we think will reduce administrative burden on uh, on our industry partners and make it easier for our customers to find what they need, right? Sometimes customers, you know, what schedule should I buy that off of? Do I have to put two schedules together, right? So that, you know, that, that consolidation, I think, will help in, in that respect. There's some other things we want to do uh, to make changes in the schedules program, like, for example, around services on schedule that have, have unpriced labor categories, right? So we spend a decent amount of time right now, our contracting officers do, negotiating uh, hourly rates at, uh, you know, at a kind of one hour per increment rate, right? And when an actual task order comes out and a customer has a real requirement and they say, well, I'm not buying an hour of that, I need, I need 10,000 hours of it, the price usually comes down, right? The vendors, the industry partners compete with each other and say, well, I, you know, you're buying this much over a certain period of time, right? Let's let's reduce the rate. Since most of the that competition is happening at the task order level, you know, we'd like to remove the need to negotiate price at the contract level and really focus on technical qualifications there, which we think is something we can be very good at, spend a lot of time there, and then, you know, let as the task order competitions happen, off of the contract, let the market sort of drive the price in there. So that's, you know, from our standpoint, that's something that we think will drive some efficiency for our workforce, allow people to spend a little more time on something that we think provides more value uh, and, and really help our customers get market-based pricing at the task order level. How is FAS delivering best value mission support to customer agencies? We will ask its commissioner, Alan Thomas, when our conversation continues on the Business of Government Hour. The federal government can reduce costs while improving services by adopting private sector cost reduction strategies and technologies to achieve similar benefits in government. Check out the IBM Center special report, Transforming Government Through Technology, a companion piece to a more detailed report by the Technology CEO Council. That report outlines how technology-based reforms can reduce federal costs by more than a trillion dollars over the next decade. Driving change in the federal government requires more than new policies or the infusion of new technologies. It requires a sustained focus on implementation to achieve positive and significant results. This IBM Center special report provides a roadmap for government leaders to do just that. Download Transforming Government through technology 
and all IBM Center reports at businessofgovernment.org. Welcome back to the Business of Government Hour. I'm Michael Keegan, your host, and our guest today is Alan Thomas, Commissioner of GSA's Federal Acquisition Service. Also joining our conversation from IBM is Kunal Saravanshi. So, Alan, would you give us a brief overview of the Modernizing Government Technology Act? What role does FAS play in implementing its requirements? And I think you had been quoted as saying uh, there are changes under the act that would be a real boon to federal agencies. Could you explain that? Sure. So uh, the MGT Act is a great example, which was which you know is passed as part of the National Defense Authorization Act. You know that's a great example of uh, of a kind of bipartisan spirit, which um, I've been uh, I've, you know privy to see. Um, you know, it's great to see folks from both sides of the aisle when you're talking about modernizing government technology to serve citizens better and make the government more efficient and effective. Um, that you know that's an issue that um, that bring that brings everybody together. So I think the most important component of MGT is the is the Technology Modernization Fund or TMF, mm-hmm. and the associated working capital funds that each of the twenty four CFO Act agencies can establish uh, as as part of that. So that if you think about how the government the the funding cycle for technology and government right doesn't doesn't really match how people want to buy or need or need to buy it, and the TMF and those working capital funds. I think will better help align how folks need to buy technology and make investments in uh, in that. So, uh, from an FAS perspective, well, let me start with the GSA from, from GSA overall, right? So, uh, the the GSA administrator, uh, in concert with um, um, the director of OMB, right, is is responsible for um, for the for the TMF. Uh, in in practice, the chair of the Technology Modernization Fund is the federal CIO, Suzette Kent. Uh, there are uh, six other board members. Um, the GSA administrator appointed me as as a permanent board member. Uh, GSA gets one uh, one seat on the TMF, so I've been uh, I've been lucky to uh, be there from the beginning. Watch you know be at all the board meetings, sort of you know watch the watch the sausage uh, being uh, being made. And you know there's a hundred million dollars uh, that the TMF has this year to uh, to allocate out to agencies. We've been running a what I would call sort of Shark Tank style process, where we get initial proposals in, review those, and then ask people to come back in and present more, uh, more detailed, more detailed proposals. We're really looking to make uh, investments. I would call them incremental investments that have transformational uh, impact. So, um, you know, the thought is to invest in things that have big impact on uh, on citizens. Uh, and, and to invest in things that uh, potentially other agencies can utilize, so we get leverage there, and to invest in things that um, are models, so that uh, you know uh, these are projects. These are certainly the initial projects are going to get a lot of uh, a lot of heat and light, uh, and we'd like to make investments in things that other agencies say I have a similar problem or issue, uh, and I, you know I want to tackle it or I want to go about uh, solving it. In a in a in a way that um, has been highlighted by the by the TMF, so the individual agency working capital funds. I'm stepping away from the centrally managed fund for a second. A few agencies, I think three so far, have stepped forward to talk about how they would set those up. Uh, I think that has real uh, can have real long term impact in the uh, in the government. So those are you know those those are funds that uh, agencies as they invest in things and generate savings, right? They can put some of those savings in the working capital funds and continue to invest and, uh, and modernize. That really changes how agencies budget and pay for 
uh, technology and that you know that is far-reaching impact that I think if done uh, if done properly will be will probably be the most impactful thing to come out of the uh, of the MGT Act. You know, Besides your sitting on the board, do you does does uh, FAS have any any other role in actually funding administering the funding? Uh, so we uh, we don't. So there's okay. a small there's a small PMO or project management office within GSA that reports to the deputy administrator of GSA, which is Allison Brigatti. Yep, uh, Liz Kane is the executive director of that uh, of the PMO uh, running that. There are two FAS employees, so two folks who technically work for me who are detailed over to be uh, to be part of it, right? But I'm not I'm, as a board member, right? It didn't seem right to have the PMO to me, right? It seemed, so uh, Allison and Liz and team are are running the the day to day operations of the board. Alan, you're leading an effort to bring the modern online buying experience to buyers in the federal government with the creation of an e-commerce portal as required under the National Defense Authorization Act, Section 846. Uh, Would you tell us more about the e-commerce portal effort? What does Congress require be done? Uh, How will it enhance the government buyer experience, reduce costs, streamline processes? And where are you in this process? So we are in uh, we're in phase two. So it's a really a, really a three phase uh, process. So phase one was a fairly short phase where we did a good bit of listening and engagement with industry, with customers from around government, other other stakeholders. The charge there was uh, produce a report that would essentially tell us how you're going to tell us how you're going to execute that. So uh, we uh, we met the mark there. The report was due in the middle of March. And uh, in concert with um, with our friends in OMB, we put the report together and delivered it to Congress. I think the key event in that initial phase was in early January. We held an industry day, had a couple of hundred participants actually physically in the room at GSA, another several hundred participants online, and then afterwards we got we got uh, I think close to a hundred uh, comments in uh, from people, and that really helped helped us think through what we wanted to do in phase two. Phase two is all about going out and actually uh, doing some, um, you know, some pretty hardcore market research and thinking about what kind of solutions will we will we pilot. Uh, this is a rapidly changing landscape. Um, so, you know, so we, we don't want to, we don't want to kind of lock ourselves in anything. And I think in phase two, you know, we're going to test out a number of a uh, number of different models. There look, from phase one, there really look like three models that, that emerged. One is Sort of a um, what I would call a direct model, where a, where a seller controls the entire experience. So Home Depot.com, sure. right, or Staples.com, or something, right. something like that. Uh, the the um, second model is uh, is an aggregator model. Uh, company begins with an A out there, right? Sort of a marketplace, <laughs> right? With, you know, brings you know buyers and sellers together, right? And they you know they've sort of a um, neutral uh, aggregator, if you if you will. Uh, and then the third model is more of a traditional. Um, sort of uh, e-procurement model, right? You might have a company sort of a, does catalog and e-procurement, and then they could help you punch out to other 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 marketplaces. So I think in phase two, teams off doing uh, doing research now. We're we're looking at probably testing out uh, some solutions in all three of those uh, areas, and then you know phase three is when we actually would. would begin real implementation, right? So I think we, we want to get a, a real sense for what's out there, te- uh, test it out, and then, uh, you know, and then from there, I don't I don't ever envision the government kind of picking a single solution. My guess is there'll always be a series of choices that we're going to going to provide to our to our customers. There are a few things in phase that we identified in phase one 
that we have gone back to the Congress and asked uh, for their help so that we can actually execute a pilot in phase two. Probably the most important of those is uh, uh, we asked for a, a raise in the micro-purchase threshold, threshold just for uh, buying that happens through this, uh, the, these e-commerce platforms, right? So we asked that that be raised to, to $25,000. Uh, $25, so we uh, are hopeful and have some good indication that, um, you know, that, that we're going to get the things we asked for in order to actually execute on, uh, on phase two. I would take what's going on in 846 and really put it into the broader context of what we're trying to do to make the federal marketplace a better place to do business, both for, our, for industry partners and for buyers. So in addition to 846, which is really about improving the, the buying experience mostly for products, I mentioned schedules uh, consolidation, right, is another core component of that, and then a whole series of uh, legislative and regulatory changes we're making. So on the regulatory front, we there's a new rule out, the order-level materials rule, right, that allows, um, I always knew them as other direct costs or ODCs, right, which is how folks in industry, I think, refer to them. But we've come up with an acronym called order-level materials that allows those to be uh, bought as part of a schedule's buy without having to do a, a separate contracting action. That's an example of, if I, you know, if I look at legal and regulatory changes, consolidating schedules to reduce burden there and improving the buying experience on things like 846. I put all those things together. To me, that all fits under the easy bucket of trying to make the marketplace a better place to do business. So as a follow-up, and I think you've touched upon it a little bit here, but how do you balance implementing these commercial best practices and ways of going to market with the rigor and realities of federal procurement? So that is the $64,000 question, isn't it? Maybe I should. Maybe that should be updated. Maybe it should be like a $64 million question. $64,000 doesn't seem like enough. You know, what we've been doing there is a lot of listening. So that industry day I mentioned, that, that sort of engagement is going to continue in uh, specifically talking about the work we're doing around Section 846. And we're going to put out an RFI or we're going to continue to have industry days, maybe reverse industry day. Um, I, you know, that's the kind of thing where you've got to gather input from all stakeholders. We have heard from lots of different stakeholders. There are going to have to be some choices made there. I think the most important thing we can do for those stakeholders is to ensure that we're open to hearing all the feedback and that we're going to make decisions in a transparent way. And we're going to have use data and have rationale for the decisions that we make. And we've heard from folks that, hey, look, if you do that, if you're really open, right, and you're transparent about what you're doing and you, you know, you use some kind of facts and doesn't sort of go off into a black box and one day, you know, some decisions pop out, people, I think, will generally be supportive, right? So they, I may not always agree with the outcome, but if I believe in the process that you went through to get there, then, you know, then I think we're, we're, people will be willing to be supportive. There's some trades that have to be made. There's some thoughts you're, we're going we're gonna to have to give some thought to what, you know, what you can buy through there. Paper and pens, okay, you know, maybe maybe no big deal. Uh, software, uh, IT hardware, maybe a little different. Medical supplies, right? We, we, you know, those are things that have supply chain risk associated with them and could have, you know, a larger, larger impact. So it's not, not a one-size-fits-all answer, right? When you're thinking about that, you've got to start, start to talk about classes of products. Hopefully those are the kind of things we will get a chance to uh, test out and prove out in phase two and gather some actual, some data and some information that will really help inform what we do in phase three. You know, Alan, you mentioned earlier um, uh, GSA's IT Modernization Center of Excellence. Mm-hmm. Could you tell us a little bit more about its mission and what types of expertise will it provide and how do you envision FAS leveraging it? 
So the uh, the GSA IT Modernization Centers of Excellence uh, provide centralized uh, expert advice, consulting, and implementation support, and they really do so in in uh, in five areas, at least initially. Uh, one's around cloud cloud adoption. Uh, one's around IT infrastructure optimization. Uh, one's around what we're calling service delivery analytics. One's around contact center solutions, and one is around customer experience. So the concept there is to bring in, uh, to sort of mix some expertise we have in-house within GSA, specifically within our within our technology transformation services team, with some support that we're getting from the private sector to bring kind of best-of-breed thinking, and then go and help individual agencies in those specific areas think through how they're going to modernize the technology infrastructure they have that ultimately helps them transform the mission and the uh, service they deliver to citizens. So uh, the Department of Agriculture stepped up and volunteered to be to be first. Uh, Secretary Sonny Perdue is, uh, is very engaged there. Our lead from GSA for that is Joanne Collins-Smee, who's one of two deputies that I have within the Federal Acquisition Service, Mary Davey uh, being, the, being the other. And Joanne and her team really, uh, they have the lead on delivering at USDA. They are in the thick of it, as we say. Uh, right now. So those the initial kind of strategy teams have been on the ground there for a couple of months, uh, and they're working on uh, developing plans, so largely be uh, acquisition plans and strategies for how to do what they're calling their phase two work, which is, okay, we've sort of laid out right the challenges in all these areas. Now, how are we going to, how are we going to solve those challenges? There'll be a good bit of help we need from the private sector to do that, which will, of course, necessitate acquisition expertise in terms of how we go out and uh, and and procure those uh, the services and in some cases the goods we need to do that. That's where you see the the bringing together of the technology transformation services team and the broader federal acquisition services really paying dividends. Right, going out helping a customer solve and then saying, okay, in order to solve that problem, we're going to need to engage with the private sector. How do we write a great statement of work? Right, how do we get the right requirements nailed down and then go to market to get the appropriate industry partners? The idea is. Uh, that, that we don't just do that once at USDA and then everyone just says, oh, that was great, you know, let's, let's, let's go hit the beach, right? The thought is um, that we're building a set of repeatable processes that we can then take to other agencies. Uh, and there are uh, several other agencies in the, uh, in the pipeline. We're not ready to announce you know, a- agency two yet, but, um, but, but we're close. I think the, the positive experience that USDA has had so far and the great executive support that we've had there other folks within the government have seen that and said, "Hey, I, you know, I, I want to get me a little bit of that also, right?" <laughs> um, and so, uh, again, the idea, right, is to build something that's repeatable and that really, that really has legs and you know, kind of lives on past, you know, past just what we do at uh, at, at USDA, right? But it's something that we can that we can repeat at other agencies across the government. You know, you mentioned uh, your intention earlier on uh, about focusing on expanding areas where FAS already exceeds. Uh, excels rather, mm-hmm. and, and that is the flat, uh, the fleet and the purchase card programs. Um, just wondering, are there any plans that you'd like to share about expanding either of these two programs? Sure. So the fleet program, uh, as I mentioned, we centrally manage uh, about two hundred thousand vehicles within GSA. So that's a third of the federal fleet. A third of the uh, the other third of the federal fleet is uh, postal service, mm-hmm. and then the other third is managed individually by uh, by the by the agencies. So fleet's an area where uh, we're pretty efficient. We get some economies of scale there. It's a long-standing program with a number of great processes 
Uh, they collect a lot of data. They have a very, what I would call, mature approach to managing that asset. Not every agency has as mature an approach. Some do, some don't. Uh, so as part of the agency reform uh, initiative, so this, these are the initiatives that grew out of, uh, and I'm going to talk some inside baseball here, but it was the, it was M1722. So it was the big, the OMB memo, right? So everyone focused on, you know, freezing workforce and all that stuff, right? Yes. Buried in there, right, was reorganization. And really out of that has come a number of uh, what we're calling agency reform plans. Mm-hmm. Uh, something that we put forward was, you know, we'd like to go out and potentially look at consolidating some of the agency managed vehicles into the central fleet as a way to put a few dollars back into in the pocket uh, of of uh, somebody at an agency, OMB said, "Hey, that sounds like a great idea." So, in the budget process, there there are 15 agencies identified that we're going to study. We've gone out and hired an independent third party contractor to do that uh, those studies. We've had the kickoff with the contractor. They're out gathering data. They're going to begin to work with the agencies over the summer, probably late summer, early fall. You'll see the first set of recommendations come back from that group about uh, potentially consolidating. Uh, more more vehicles. And the play here is pretty straightforward. Now, I was over talking uh, to, uh, to uh, General Neely, who runs uh, logistics over Marine Corps, and he said, I, I spend $80 million a year on cars. Yeah, I, I don't know that I really want to be in the car business, right? That doesn't seem like uh, it's a core function for the core, so to speak. I hear you, right? So that you know, that's an example of somewhere where if you can go in and say, look, I can manage your fleet for you probably in as effectively or even more effectively than, than you're currently managing it today, and I can do it for 90 cents on the dollar, if I can put 8 or $10 million back in your pocket, I am certain that the Marine Corps has great things they could do with that money that aren't, that aren't related to cars, right? That plays out, I think, will play out across a number of agencies. So fleet is an area where we're doing consolidation studies and, and uh, you know, expect to see some activity late fall, early summer. So uh, around the, the card program, SmartPay program, so we, you know, we just uh, awarded SmartPay 3, and now agencies, individual agencies are working through uh, awarding their task orders uh, off of that. Uh, I think that, that's an area where we're working hard with OMB to try and drive more spending through the card. The beauty of that for the government is that as the, as the spend goes through the card, this is like, you know, hey, I want the miles, I want the points. So from the government, we get, we get money, we get, we, we get rebates. So on average, I think last year, SmartPay did, uh, returned almost $300 million to individual agencies in terms of rebates, which is money that they can, you know, they, they yeah, absolutely, or they, they can use to put, it, to put it towards mission. So there we're really focused on trying to, uh, to drive as much spend as we can through that channel in order to, uh, to increase the rebate. There are, there are some cardless, uh, uh, you know, kind of cardless payment features and things like that in SmartPay 3 that we would like agencies to take advantage of as well. But initially, the near-term focus is trying to just drive more, more spend, potentially services spend and higher dollar value spend through that channel in order to capture more rebate for the, for the government. What does the future hold for federal government procurement? We will ask Alan Thomas, Commissioner of GSA's Federal Acquisition Service, when our conversation continues on the Business of Government Hour. The federal government can reduce costs while improving services by adopting private sector cost reduction strategies and technologies to achieve similar benefits in government. Check out the IBM Center Special Report, Transforming Government Through Technology, It outlines how technology-based reforms can reduce federal costs by more than a trillion dollars over the next decade. 
Download Transforming Government Through Technology and all center reports at businessofgovernment.org. Welcome back to the Business of Government Hour. I'm Michael Keegan, your host, and our guest today is Alan Thomas, Commissioner of GSA's Federal Acquisition Service. Also joining our conversation from IBM is Kunal Saravanshi. You know, Alan, what is um, FAS doing in the area of shared services? So I, I talked a little bit earlier about Fleet and uh, and the smart, smart Pay program. There's some other things we're working on. So there's been a good bit of activity around uh, around payroll uh, recently, the, the new pay uh, program. So we're uh, on track uh, to get a request for quote uh, out there. From an FAS perspective, I kind of take off a government white hat and just look at my organization in terms of what we're doing. We're really the acquisition experts who would help put a government-wide solution like that uh, in place. So that you know, on payroll, for example, the thought is to get you know three, four, five, some some reasonable number of uh, of commercial providers to provide a standard solution that then individual agencies within the government could come and leverage. So there's some economies and efficiencies. Uh, there and our piece of that is really to uh, make sure we get we get the acquisition right, right. Get it out on the street, get it awarded properly, and then you know have the contract work as uh, work work as intended. We would not be in the payroll business or the or the time and attendance business. The same is true uh, for some other areas that are being looked at as part of the um, the president's management agenda and the cross agency priority goal. So there's cap goal five. Uh, which is around sharing quality solutions, right? So we're looking at things like uh, financial management solutions. Uh, I mentioned payroll time, time and attendance is a component of that. Contract closeout services uh, would be another area where uh, that we would look at potentially uh, contract writing solutions, right? Having some sort of standard contract in place for you know a few of the uh, of the commercial off the shelf uh, contract writing solutions that that folks in government use. FAS would would be the acquisition arm that would help that would help put those in place. We always want to make sure whenever we undertake an effort to put something in place that we think is going to be used by the government that it's backed up by good good data because we we need customers to come and actually use it so we can recover the costs that we incurred to put it in the in place. So we think those are we think those are high value areas that have a lot of benefit government wide and also are things that people uh, that people want to use. Alan, picking up on Administrator Murphy's focus on ethical leadership, uh, acquisition is a fiduciary responsibility, and the federal government business must be conducted with complete impartiality. Could you elaborate on efforts being pursued to ensure procurement integrity while building federal acquisition workforce capacity? So as you mentioned, uh, ethical leadership was one of the four what I call operating principles that Emily uh, laid down, and it's an important one. I I think it all... You know, it all starts with uh, with that, with, uh, with what I would call honesty and trust. And if people don't think you're ethical, if they don't trust you, if they don't think you're an honest broker, it's a little hard to say, hey, we like to be the marketplace of which, you know, government buyers and industry partners come to do business. So I, I'm, I'm not going to, you know, I'm not going to trade stocks on an exchange that I think is rigged, right? <laughs> so if you want to be a market maker, which is which is the, the business that we're in on the acquisition front, you've got to have honesty and trust as the core of that. So that's, um, you know, so it's a key component of what we do. We, we always want to be acting, I think, in, a, uh, in an impartial way. So we're, you know, we're always thinking about uh, competition, level playing field, uh, transparency, right? Those things being the uh, kind of attributes of a, of a market. 
that generate trust from people. And, you know, it's just at the core of what we do. When you're a middleman, like the Federal Acquisition Service is, you need both those both sides uh, to trust you. If they don't do business through you, then, you know, we there, there's no way for us to uh, to recover our costs and continue to exist as, a, as an organization. What's one thing I get loud and clear when I go out and talk to people on the front lines, right, folks who are involved in contracting, uh, is they, they take that responsibility very, very seriously. Uh, and they have a real, you know, a real sense of, no other word for it, a sense of duty, right, that, they, um, that they're going to be ethical, you know, that they, that they want to do the right thing, that they will, they'll continue to, you know, be above board in, in, uh, in all that they do. So like a, it's like a core, you know, I said my core values are honesty, courage, and graciousness, right? Honesty is the, is the first one. And I, I get when I talk to uh, our people in FAS, um, I get that's a very, you know, it really resonates with them. I get a very strong sense that they believe that's, that's a big part of what they, what they deliver is that sort of uh, neutral, uh, level, open playing field where industry can come compete and agencies can come and get their, get their requirements met by those by those worthy competitors. Mm-hmm. Before we close, I just want to do a couple of more questions really quick. And, sure. and one is looking into the future and getting your insights. What are some of the key issues and say that will affect acquisition and procurement government-wide do you envision? So uh, I talked a little bit about just changes in technology, right, and how that, how that impacts people. I think one that uh, gets uh, a lot of attention um, internally, maybe not as much in the press, is uh, is thinking about uh, the supply chain and the security of the of the supply chain. So, if you think about a more, you know, we're living in a much more connected world than we were even twenty or twenty or thirty years ago. Um, how, you know, who we're acquiring things from, how we're acquiring them, what are the not even who are we acquiring from, but who, what are, what does their supply chain look like, providing that good or in some cases that services to the government. I think uh, is going to have a big impact on uh, acquisition and how we how we think about it. I don't know that I'm smart enough to know all the changes that are going to occur around that, but I think at the end of the day, if you think about that, um, you know, being that honest broker and making that market uh, that I talked about, part of customers having confidence in what they're buying in that in that market is having some sort of sense that they're buying it from people they can trust. And so I could see acquisition folks taking on uh, an increasingly larger role in helping grant some assurance to the to the buying customers that what they're buying is real, is not counterfeit, for example, and uh, and that they're you know that they're buying it from a from a trustworthy uh, from a trustworthy source, right? When I was in DoD, I was involved in a little bit of work in that area, and it's, as I've come into this role in FAS. Uh, there's a there's a lot of activity within the government around supply chain supply chain risk and trying to trying to manage that. Um, part of that I think is there are almost too many people trying to do good things, right? And there's a question of are we coordinated in getting the most out of our out of our effort, right? I'm a, I love sports analogy, so I say, hey, we're gonna we're in football, we're gonna run a play. I I want everyone giving maximum effort on the play. But it's even better if we're all running the same play. Yeah, <laughs> if we're not, like I'm glad everyone's trying hard, right? But we, but, but, but you know, this is gonna. If we all know it's a pass, right? This this will go better than if half of us think it's a run. So, real quick before we end, uh, what advice would you give someone who is thinking about a career in public service? Do it. 
uh, yeah, I think it's a it's it's a noble calling. Uh, uh, there, you get you in the in the public sector, you can get more responsibility at a younger age than you can uh, generally in the in the private sector. Not always true, but but for for the most part, that's true. You also tackle uh, some interesting and oftentimes unique problems, right? That the public sector faces that folks in the private sector don't face. I mean, oftentimes the government steps in when there's some sort of market failure. And they, you know, they, they're, they're dealing with a really hard, interesting, uh, naughty problem. If you like those kind of things, the public sector is a good place for you. I would, as somebody who's been back and forth, it's my third time in government uh, in my career, I think there's a lot of value uh, to doing that. It'd be great if, um, you know, we, we thought about things. So the last time we did a big reform of civil service was 78, right, when they created the SES and those sort of things. You know, it'd be great to see... Uh, some reforms of civil service that make it easier for people to move uh, in and out and almost in some ways in- encourage that. I think I know I'm I'm a smarter uh, negotiator with the private sector when I've been on that side and know the pressures they're facing and how, you know, how they think about the business. And I'm also better when I've been on the private sector side and I've, you know, said, oh, I've sat in the program manager's chair in the government and I understand you know, crazy funding cycles and decisions that get made, and how things how things get done, and why you know why the government's reacting in a, in the in a certain way that they are. So that ability to move back and forth, I think, would be um, would be great. I think it would probably help. Um, you know, in addition to the uh, attraction of the mission and the hard problems that I mentioned, you know, the, the, that ability to move back and forth, I think, would help attract people even more. So you feel like you know, young people today. And I don't, don't, I don't classify myself as a young person, um, but you know, we, we, I tend to think about my career in like three-year chunks, and I think, I think, lo- I think lots of people uh, do today, right? R- rarely do people think, "Hey, I'm going to, you know, join Company X and be there, or join the government and be there, you know, forever, uh, you know, th- thirty years or something like that." It happens, but it's it's rare. The ability to move back and forth. Would, would do a lot from a, from a recruiting standpoint as well. Well, thank you for coming in today. But Thanks. more importantly, Kunal and I would like to thank you for your dedicated service to the country. Thanks for having me. It's been great. This has been the Business of Government Hour, a conversation with Alan Thomas, Commissioner of GSA's Federal Acquisition Service. My co-host from IBM has been Kunal Suravanshi. Be sure to join us next week for another informative, insightful, and in-depth conversation on improving government and its effectiveness. For the Business of Government Hour... I'm Michael Keegan. Thanks for joining us. This has been the Business of Government Hour. Be sure to visit us on the web at businessofgovernment.org. There you can learn more about our programs and get a transcript of today's conversation. Until next week, it's businessofgovernment.org. Each week on the Business of Government Hour, government executives and thought leaders join host Michael Keegan for an informative, insightful, and in-depth conversation on improving government and its effectiveness. These individuals are truly changing the way government does business. So join us each week on the Business of Government Hour and find out how the business of government isn't business as usual. The Business of Government Hour, every Monday at 11 a.m. on Federal News Radio, 1500 a.m.